From Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serra. Hey, thanks for inviting me into your home, your long-haul truck, RV, camper, taxi, your parents' well-appointed basement with the simulated wood paneling, electric fireplace, and the dogs playing poker. Your loft, that greasy spoon just off the interstate in your cabin in the woods. And hiya to each of you tuning us in on one of our affiliate stations. Uh, Hey there to those of you streaming us live on my YouTube channel, Strange Planet. And of course, all of you who uh, hang out with us in the uh, live chat on YouTube every week so faithfully. However and wherever you're listening, I bid thee the warmest of welcomes and I thank you for your fine company. Uh, Hey, don't forget to check out my uh, weekday radio program, The Richard Serrett Show, uh, 4 to 6 p.m. Eastern. You can stream it live at saga960am.ca, and you can also stream it on uh, the Simple Radio or TuneIn apps. And uh, my podcast, Conspiracy Unlimited, new episodes drop every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, conspiracyunlimitedpodcast.com, or just go to strangeplanet.ca. Everything's right there. Too many websites. Strangeplanet.ca, that's kind of the clearinghouse. Writer, researcher, former actor director bruce de torres is with us his book many years in the making is god school 9-11 and jfk the lies that are killing us and the truth that sets us free so many years in the making bruce was it, i'm trying to remember was it einstein he asked somebody you know how long do you think it makes sense to uh, to bake an apple pie and um the person you know they tried Adding up, this is what I would do. Again, I'm a linear thinker. <laughs> you know, you'd add up, okay, so how long does it take to peel the apples? And then you got to make the crust. And then you got to put the filling in the crust and then put the pie in the oven and you add all of that. But what, maybe two hours to bake a pie, Albert? And uh, Einstein said, no, 14 and a half billion years to bake that pie, right? It all begins with the Big Bang or what have you. Anyway, <laughs> I guess my, that's a, my roundabout question of asking how long – did it take to write that book? Wow. It, well, I began it in 95. It came out in 2021. So what's that? 26 years. Wow. There were, there were a number of years where it was fallow, where it was just lying in a drawer. And that's when I was researching the, you know, the horrific events. So, and then it was a sprint, a marathon from 2014 to 2021 to, finish it getting up early staying up late and it's it was transformative you know it's uh, i'm on the other side i'll never work on something that hard again i don't know if i'll ever write another book again and it's just i I guess uh, kind of using einstein's model not necessarily going back to the big bang but i guess every (laughs) every from the moment you were born every experience you had every conversation you had every painful event every joyful event all sort of contributed i guess to the writing of the book in a sense yes because the the impetus was the solution to being a human that it was for me the original idea like we talked about in the first hour which is you know energy is the intention to exist the intention is the ability everything's made out of energy and we're all here because we want it to be, whether we, you know, we were the, the original impetus to exist that burst into existence as this universe, which is just a theory. We don't know that's how the universe started. And or if we're the one and only eternal spirit who's pretending to be other people. 
you know, there's one hand up, all these puppets, we're all different puppets, but we're the same infinite ocean of consciousness and love. That's, Or if we're individual eternal spirits, regardless, the joy of imagining I'm here because I want it to be. Everything I experience is coming to me from the real me. For years, Richard, the working title of my book was The Real You and All You Create. So if lightning strikes a tree right now and crashes through this this roof and ends this conversation and I've got to deal with that, anyone, especially a mature child, would freak out and think it's a catastrophe. Oh, Richard will never have me back on his show. And, oh, I work so hard to ba-ba-ba-ba-ba. Woe is me, woe is me. But I'm here to tell you the fun and the power that I have imagining I want everything that happens. Life is a maturity test. And if I trust it, the real me, the 99.99999% of reality that's really, really me, this eternal spirit, I won't fret. Because the conclusion that works for me and many other wise ones who I learned a lot from reading and talking to, by owning everything and not rejecting anything, we remain whole, we remain all we can be, and then we have, uh, you know, we can have some peace and pleasure even as I have to get a saw and take care of this tree that just came through the roof. Okay, so getting back to what we were discussing <laughs> just before <laughs> God forfend that a tree comes crashing through your roof. Um, but, you know, that's a great way to approach things. You know, I am prepared for everything. I am prepared for everything. So I think you, you talk about this world and this life is all about fear management. We can come back to that. But I, I wanted to pick up on all of those kind of knocked a can of worms over before the top of the hour there. And that was whether pursuing all of these threads let's say with 9-11 or JFK, I mentioned nanothermite and who was Ace Elevator and what were they doing at the World Trade Center towers and, you know, were those planes or were those holograms or, you know, a million and you've been over, you know, 10 years of obsessing on this. You've covered it all, I'm sure, and read it all. But in the end, isn't that all just a distraction? Isn't that, as my friend Nelson Thal says, counting blades of grass on the grassy knoll because we're, you're kind of losing sight of the picture that, again, this is school. This is a learning experience. And it's all, you know, all you need is love. Yeah. The, we see a lot of folks who get obsessed with that minutia. By the way, quick question. Can you see me on the video stream, Richard? I can. Yes. And there is you no tree go. crashing through. Thank goodness. No tree. Yes. I now, that it. helps me know, you know, that you can see how I'm listening and et cetera, because I can't see you. As I was outraged by the truths I found about 9-11 and then the Federal Reserve and, and everything else, I was really angry. But I was also very motivated. It, it's tr it, That's me. But in studying it, I got a feel for, okay, I, I've looked at that particular question long enough. I have to come back and, and look at other things. There's only so many blades of grass you can count on the grassy knoll for me. because And especially after 2014 when I realized, oh, I'm not just studying this for my own obsession because that's why I was studying it, for my own conviction. And then I must have reached a point where I was so convinced that I thought, 
I'm going to dare to try to publish a book because I'm so certain about what I'm going to put in there and I'll put in enough of the sources so that I won't wilt when scrutinized about where'd you get that or why are you claiming that or are you really sure about that because there's a lot of folks who, who, who could react like that. And I think the value, see, to count all the blades of grass, Richard, and to parse all the minutiae, at some point I, w- I would ask those folks, who's that for? Who are you doing it for? What good is knowing all that stuff if you're not going to try to uh, educate folks who've been duped like we used to be when we believed maybe the mainstream stories? All this is only worth something if we spread, to me, just, you know, spread the word about it and not get so lost. Here's a great point about, you know, for instance, the question, you know, were the planes that hit the towers real planes or were they holograms? This is a great part of my story. Last year, as I was writing my COVID-19 chapter, my publisher said he wanted to start a podcast and I offered to help. And he asked me to introduce each episode, and then I volunteered to edit each episode, and we just do an audio. We capture it on Zoom, and we do an audio. So every week for the last 50-some weeks, Chris has interviewed his various authors. He's published 120 books in the last 20 years about these kind of things. And he's been studying this stuff for 50 years. Do you know Chris Mulligan's story, Richard? I do, Richard? yes. I do oh. know Chris, yeah. Oh. A lot of his authors have been uh, through here over the last 13 years. Okay. Do you remember him telling how he first heard about conspiracies and things like that? It had to do with his dad, I think. Yeah. When Chris was 20 years old in 1969, he knew his father had worked for the CIA, but he didn't know any details. And then he he learned a lot. His father told him a, a few core things. Fast forward to the point I was starting to make, whether they were planes, whether they were holograms, Chris warns people constantly that there are tons of different forces and entities and factions and nationalities and intelligence agencies and just troublemakers and money makers who are firehosing all kinds of misinformation, disinformation and malinformation to drive us crazy, to get us to take sides so that we can be divided and conquered. And Chris you know, jumped into 9-11 truth immediately after it happened and he started seeing how Suddenly, ideas were introduced like the planes were holograms. And a lot of that, Richard, here's the point, is fed into the uh, research in order to split people off. A lot of it could be agents provocateur, you know, undercover spooks who come in with these different slants to drive us nuts and have us arguing about was there a suicide pilot in JFK Jr.'s plane or like Damon Issey really seems to prove – a bomb probably went off back at the tail, and that's why the way the plane went straight down, no suicide guy would do this. So if we could be arguing about, you know, where were the shooters at Dealey Plaza, we're wasting our own time, and that serves the, the, the ghouls who did it. So that's an orientation to, to right. I think know, we talk, brain we, assault. Yeah, yeah, we talk so much about means, methods, and that's important, I guess, but maybe we need to talk more about motivation opportunity. Mm -hmm. I love framing it like that, Richard, because 
what I love doing as I, I'm practicing how to talk about my book. Because I've, I mean, I've talked about it to friends and family for years, but now this is the first time. Hey, nice to meet you, Bruce. What's your book all about? And I love describing regular Americans uh, or any citizens as members of the jury. And you can grow up your whole life believing the government and mainstream media's story about something. But people who write books like mine and people who have shows like yours, we're showing the other side of the story. It's kind of like you have to hear the defense. You can't just hear the prosecution's case and think you're quali- think you know what's going on and think you're qualified to cast the verdict of whether or not that's what happened or not. You have to see the other side. So you just you just gave an example of listing like at what point do you have enough facts to to share them with someone to inspire them to say, you know what? There's so much smoke there. There might I want to look into that. And that's uh, a tactic I really, really embrace. Like, how do we sift and sort all you could know about JFK or all you could know about 9-11? It's like, well, probably enough to inspire one to do their own research, kind of see like, wow. It's really credible. You know, you could say the same for the, the, the virus for the last year and a half. There's a lot of folks who just believe hook, line, and sinker what their politicians and what their medical authorities have been ta- telling them and not seeing or believing the doubt and the pushback because they haven't seen enough or done the research for themselves to, to imagine, wow, there's enough counterbalance there that I'm going to stay neutral until I know enough to dare to indulge in the luxury of a belief about any of these topics. You know, folks, have a little humility. You know, have an open mind. You get the point I'm trying to say there. I think I... I, I Absolutely. I, you know, I think with this pandemic, and I always have to preface it, of course, you know, the virus is real and people are dying and people are getting sick. It's the overwrought response that I think is certainly worthy of a lot more examination. But I think finally, because the overreach has just been ridiculous, that I think people are finally now waking up because the media doesn't even try and pretend anymore that they're being non-biased and objective. It is so out in the open now. Was it Orwell who talked about how tyranny rules by fraud and by force? Mm. And, but once you expose the fraud, all they have left is the force. And that's where we're at now. I mean, if you look at Australia mm-hmm. in particular and here in Canada, my Lord, some of the images coming out of Vancouver at a restaurant mm-hmm. where a man refused to uh, provide a vaccine passport and a 70 year old man and the police tackled him and slammed him to the ground. That's where we're at right now. It's naked and raw for anyone to see, you know, the reaction to this and that the way the media is cheerleading from the sidelines I mean, their job used to be to give comfort to the afflicted and to afflict the comfortable. They're not even pretending to do that anymore. You you summed up the urgency of shows like yours and publishers like Trine Day and folks who write books that try to address reality. These are facts. The things in my book, the things your guests talk about, what the governments are doing – especially when you know a little history, you know that this is really bad. This is really, 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 really bad. And it's urgent 
to inspire more people to doubt the mainstream story, research the story, and do likewise and encourage others to see like for whatever the medical reality is, which is completely unknown, tangent, sidebar, the medical reality of the pandemic for the last year and a half is a cloud of shadows and mists and subterfuge and confusion and contradictions. Specifically, in my opinion, there's no accurate case numbers or death numbers. We have no idea how dangerous or how harmless it might be, period. Right. And the, the fundamental questions, you know, masks, not masks. Now they just admitted the six feet, the two meters for social distancing. Where did that come from? Nobody knows. Well, somebody apparently just made it up. <laughs> just, you know, some pretty fundamental questions right from the get-go that were not really questioned. I wanted to ask you while we're talking about COVID and this idea of collective responsibility. In other words, it's my responsibility to get vaccinated to make you feel or someone else feel that they are free of risk. I take great umbrage with that. I didn't sign up for that. I mean, I, I love my family and I, I know I, we're supposed to love one another, but this idea of being free from risk, I think it was Matt Walsh, who has a terrific podcast. He's on the Daily Wire. He talks about, that's like asking someone, you should be able to jump out of a building and be free of gravity or to swim in shark infested waters and be free of the risk of a shark attack. I mean, nobody has a right to be free of risk, right? I completely agree. To me, it's an example of an outrageous and egregious reach to see how much they can get away with, to see how much will comply, how much will comply with. It's absurd. And those who've studied psychological warfare, psychological manipulation, who've studied torture, and have studied abusive relationships, explore the heck out of the mind games that an abuser will inflict on their victim. And it's synonymous with, in my opinion, these these many, many different demands, unreasonable demands. Sure, theoretically, Richard, if it's theoretically possible there could be some medical something that ever occurred that could occur that would satisfy your threshold of conviction or proof you would need to see or I would need to see to think theoretically that 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 me staying away from you or me wearing a mask could protect you from an illness that I don't feel that I don't feel I have so but that goes back to what you said earlier about it's so obvious the fraud that's being perpetrated for kind of the first time ever has never been, in my understanding, asymptomatic. This is a, it doesn't exist. There are lots and lots of doctors who are censored, blocked, deplatformed. You're not, it's hard, they're hard to find who are pulling their hair out trying to. Right. Make everybody a, know that asymptomatic spread. Yeah. Yeah. It, you if you, you have to really you have to be sick, you know, when you're sick, you're sneezing, you're achy, you're 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 drew your noses, you're running. You want to stay home. You've got aches and pains. That's when you're contagious. 
Bruce, I got to take a quick time out. We'll come you back and uh, you pick it up on the other side. Bruce DeTorres, BruceDeTorres.com, God School 9-11 and JFK. Back with more in a moment. Don't go away. Take a look around. What do you really see? This is where you can tell all about it. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Writer, researcher Bruce DeTorres is hanging out with us for the full two hours. And the book again, God, School, 9-11, and JFK, The Lies That Are Killing Us and the Truth That Sets Us Free. We're talking about uh, right now, um, kind of kicking the can around here, but we're talking about the pandemic. Um, I'm, just, I'm wondering, kind of in a larger perspective, when we're looking at the reaction to COVID. And I, I look at Australia, like the canary in the coal mine. That's, you know, a, a liberal Western democracy, liberal that has turned very illiberal. Uh, and it, it seems like it's they're in, you know, full bore tyranny right now. So the canary is dead. Uh, and, you know, is that where we're heading? But you look at the way uh, authority there is dealing with, um, you know, anyone who dares to, to push back or question the narrative. I mean, they're going to people's homes and dragging them out and. And, uh, and so forth. Um, it's, it's trauma. Like 9-11 was trauma. Uh, like seeing the president of the United States uh, executed, uh, you know, in, in front of thousands of people. And then, well, later on television, I guess, when the Zapruder film was finally released, you know, millions and millions of people. Mass trauma. Um and the, the perpetrators, who's ever behind any of these things, how much of that has to do with creating this kind of a ritual? Like if um, Kent Bain talks about 9-11 as a black mass, a ritual, an occult ritual, or JFK the, um, the, as the sacrificial king, these kind of uh, myths and so forth. Do you do you believe that there is an aspect of that, a truth to that, that these whoever orchestrates these things, whoever is behind these things, there is an occult, occultic link. There is a, um, it's intended as a ritual, and uh, I don't know to appease some darker forces. I don't know. I've come to learn that and give it great credence over the last year from books like Kent's. Uh, that 9-11 book is called The Most Dangerous Book in the World 9-11 is Mass Ritual and Trine Day just published or it's coming out soon a book called Royal Vengeance the, the, the history of human sacrifice the royals and human sacrifice so yeah Richard I've, I've learned um tons that that indicates exactly what you've just described and it goes back to human sacrifices thousands of years ago in tribal cultures as a as a legacy kind of practice by the elite of the elite still in charge still in power and if you, and and history is replete with examples of false flags and just plain lies of kings and leaders 
starting real wars or just threatening, just broadcasting to their people, we're about to be attacked. Therefore, I need extraordinary powers. And all the scared people willingly give their government extraordinary powers. And they take the first fruits of the crops and the strongest men and the strongest horses and put spies among them and overturn, open up their houses. And um, and it's it's absolutely fascinating. There's a new book called The Valediction, Three Knights of Desmond by Paul Fitzgerald and Elizabeth Gould talking about uh, our duplicity in Afghanistan. And then they get into an esoteric Story Part two of their book comes out next year, and it's got to do with Paul as a Fitzgerald related to the Fitzgerald and the Kennedy uh, lineage of Fitzgeralds and the Fitzgeralds going back a thousand years and the conflicts with the royal families back then indicating that the killing of President Kennedy was was indeed the ritualistic killing of the king that Sarah Whalen's book Royal Vengeance describes quite thoroughly as a very powerful ritual and event because it re, it uh, it renews uh, things have to die that's that's an old tribal and uh, sacrificial uh, symbology going you know, going back to the beginning of time it's barbaric obviously but right. very specifically as to what what you know to trauma based mind control trauma as a as the way to control minds in a society i recently have been listing how at least every 20 years, but now much more frequently, there are these massive traumas. You could say that COVID is a massive, horrific, fear-inducing trauma. 20 years earlier, 9-11. 20 years earlier, you have a series of them in the 80s. You've got the attempt on Reagan. He survived. You have the Challenger explosion, which uh, if it wasn't an accident, it's it really slots in as an intentional trauma. There was a school teacher on board. The American schools, I don't know about Canada, put all their children in front of televisions to watch the Challenger space shuttle go up and about, you know, a minute 19 or whatever into it or 46 seconds into it, boom. 20 years before that, you had the Kennedy assassination. You had the horrors of Vietnam War. You had Martin Luther King. You had Robert Kennedy. Now follow me. It looks like every 20 years, every generation has to be terrified to surrender and into lockstep obedience to their governments. Because in the 40s, you had World War II. 20 years before that, you had World War I. In America, 20 years before that, you had a president assassinated, Garfield, in the 1800s. 20 years before that, you had Lincoln assassinated in the Civil War. 20 years before that, you had the Mexican War, which was really our first incursion and capture of empire and slaughter of innocents on, a, on, the, on that first scale. Um, and so, and then the MK Ultra, you know, research, uh, yeah, trauma is the way to frighten someone into being your slave. And you can say that we are a traumatized planet now. It's what the Nazis did to Germany, I see happening to the planet by the same factors, forces, and factions. That funded the Nazis. There's a great documented trail about how Wall Street and London built up the Nazis, built things for them, funded them, and built things for them through the war. It didn't stop when the war started. So right. Prescott Bush, yeah. 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 Ford, Rockefeller but, oil additives going to the fuel. Yeah. yeah. But getting back to, to Kent Bain and, and um, 
the most dangerous book in the world, 9-11, as, as mass ritual. And he and others have, have, have documented this, uh, the timing of these events and these mm. these occult symbols like calling cards and and the the dates that they choose whether it's TWA 800 or the you know the Lockerbie Pan Am 103 or Swiss Air or you know 911 and i suppose some might argue well if you look hard enough uh, you know you can make any connection uh, you know to any specific date and so forth but I mean, there there does seem the more you look at it, there does seem to be something there with the timing of these things. It does seem like a calling card, mm-hmm. and I guess my question then is that again, the people who who are behind this, these things, if there is this coordinated you know uh, coordination across centuries, um, who are they? For what purpose are they? Are they leaving these 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 calling cards? Why are they they making it happen on certain dates? Are are who are they trying to, or what are they trying to gain the favor of? Mm. Uh, I mean, are, are are there some is there some darker spiritual force at work here that 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 um, we're not aware of? Well, there might be. Um, their practices indicate they believe that there are. And uh, Kent, who writes under S.K. Bain, if you want to, if, for folks who want to look him up, um, details in that particular book, 9-11 as a mass ritual, that such things serve the cult who implements them, that they're a Luciferian, you know, black magic uh, belief system that it commemorates and the more people who participate the more energy is given to their effort so we everyone who watched the towers come down watched about 2000 2500 people die so we watched a slaughter we watched a human sacrifice so that had a lot more energy to the folks who pulled it off than if they took 2,500 people uh, to a field and killed them without millions of people watching. Um, Richard, isn't that intense? And it's, it's, uh, you know, Kent fairly proves that 9-11 by lining up in his book how so much of the new numbers from the flights 11 and 175 and United 10 and 77 chart very, very accurately a lot of the numbers in Aleister Crowley's, one of his major tomes uh, praising, you know, Lucifer and his whole Luciferian, you know, belief system. So the folks who inflicted 9-11 on the world, it it can't be a coincidence that it's lined up with that right. uh, high priest Crowley and, yeah, it's almost like yeah. the entire thing was an homage to, to Crowley at, uh, to a certain extent. Got to take another time out, uh, Bruce. Sure. Yeah. We'll come back and uh, chat some more. Stay with us. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. How you doing, Bruce? This is a long time to chat. Are you okay? You need you got water? You're good? I'm fantastic, yeah. All right, you. good. You know, um, I was thinking... I have been thinking, actually, I've been doing this type of 
program at different, you know, up and down the dial for about 20 years now, almost without interruption. And one of the things that I am conflicted by or that I actually regret, in all honesty, is that over the 20 years, and my views have changed and, you know, we evolve or devolve and sort of learn as we go. But if I have a regret, it would be that the body of work may have contributed to kind of an anti-American sentiment. The United States has become kind of, I think, a convenient punching bag. You know, the America is the great Satan, which I don't believe. I think America was born as a great experiment and is trying to live up to that. It hasn't always. And I'm distressed about things like the 1619 Project, which I think is just complete hokum. I just want your thoughts about, you know, in this field of conspiracy, how it oftentimes leads to this idea that this experiment was never noble, that it was always about, well, as I mentioned, the 1619 Project. It's always about the evil empire and so forth. And I have maybe contributed to that unintentionally because I always have believed that America is a great nation and capable of redemption, which, you know, every country has a dark past. Every country, every country has oppressed every I mean, the history of the world is the history of displaced peoples and conquered peoples and so forth. And so, I don't know, it's kind of a, a huge mouthful, but what are your thoughts? Well, I wrote a chapter called A Brief History of the United States in praise of the founding, in, in praise of the ideals of in the Constitution and in the writings of the founders and in the concept of America and what the possibilities were as a place where you know, the people could uh, govern ourselves through our representatives. And we are uh, horrifically captured and used and manipulated by really, really evil forces to evil intents right now. Um, aliens coming here and looking at us for the first time would say, okay, let's see what's going on here. Okay. That country, America, is brutalizing, raping, and pillaging, and exploiting, and manipulating, and killing whomever it wants all over the planet, yeah, while it tells its own people, yeah, that they're the good guys. Wow, isn't that something? So um, that's a fair, I think, assessment of reality right now. I think the salvation of the planet is personal. It comes from... You, me, and every individual embracing the idea that we are sovereign, that life is sacred, that by virtue of being human beings, we are sovereign. We get to govern ourselves, and we have inalienable rights, and it's never been expressed better. It's never been put into the charter of a government better than uh, the, the founding of the United States of America. And that only works for people who want to pursue life, liberty, and happiness. That only works if you, me, and enough other people dare to imagine that you can fight City Hall, that I can do any, I can do something, no matter who I am, to make a difference. And whether it's writing a book, whether it's having a radio show, whether it's uh, having tea parties, where you show, you know, loose change or you, you show the truth about anything. It's to actively participate 
in the salvation of uh, the, the planet, in turning your government around, turning my government around. I could go on and on about this, Richard, because I love it. It's the core of it. And if there weren't the hope that the tides could turn, if a greater percentage of any country's population uh, could make a difference, if there wasn't that hope, I too might succumb to all the self-destructive habits and addictions that are consuming Americans. I don't know about the rest of the world. I, I believe it's not quite as epidemic, but Americans, as one college professor recently put it in an interview, these kids, college students, are in the fetal position, she said. They're filled with despair. They think there's a deadly virus out there that's going to kill them. They think the economy is disastrous. They think that there are no jobs. They think that that life is hopeless, that they can't influence politics. They can't they can't better themselves economically. This is America. So, and I've also heard others say that uh, folks around the world are looking to America. Like, how you mentioned Australia succumbing to tyrannical despotism. I know that that's happening in the in many other countries in Europe. I know it's happening to a catastrophic degree, an extreme degree, worse in Chile by virtue of what Whitney Webb has revealed about what it was like there and why she had to leave and relocate to the United Kingdom, independent investigative journalist Whitney Webb. Um, But if America can't stand up to preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution, um, uh, so there's great hope in in living up to the ideals of of the Constitution, but uh, regular human beings have to uh, want to self-govern and have to want to hold their representatives right. feet to the fire. Well, I think, I think, you know, the last point before we break one more time, and that is, you know, we talk about fear, you talk about fear management. And I think one of the greatest fears that people actually have is freedom. People mm-hmm. fear freedom. It's hard work. We'll, uh, we'll come back and discuss further. Bruce DeTorris stays with us. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. All right, a few minutes remain with Bruce DeTorres. Wow, where did the time go? The book. How do we get a copy, Bruce? At trineday.com, T-R-I-N-E-D-A-Y.com. God, school, 9-11, and JFK, the lies that are killing us and the truths that set us free. So we've, we've kind of gone through the list of some of the lies that are killing us and the uh, the trauma, the uh, enslavement. So just in the time that remains, let's go back to, you know, the truth that sets us free. And we talked about that earlier in the program, you know, that um, uh, energy is the intention to exist. And, you know, we manifest uh, our intentions. This is and this is the world that we've inherited. It is the culmination, I guess, of our intentions. Uh, so how do we how do we turn this around? I mean, is it as simply as is it as simple as, you know, reversing this whole process of, uh, um, and, and understanding that separateness is an illusion? I mean, it sounds, you know, kind of for some people, maybe a little new agey and it can't be that simple or it that's too hard. I mean, what 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 do we need to do? Uh, to, to correct this. 
Well, I was thinking, you know, what you brought up about fear and overcoming fear just before this last break, and it answers the question you just asked. In my opinion, the greatest single thing anyone could do is to imagine they had a really loving mother who said things like, they're there, everything's all right. From your youngest age, you scraped your knee, they're there, everything's all right. <laughs> you're crying, you're crying, you're really upset, you're scared about something. They're there, everything's all right. Talk, imagine you had that, and then you had that internalized. And you also had a very encouraging, empowering dad who said, come on, there's a lot, we've got a lot to do today, we're going to make a mess, we're going to... We're going to break things. We're going to fix things, but we got to take care of the animals. We have to build and repair that, and we got to be back in time for dinner. And talk to ourselves like that. Talk to if, – if when more of us, Richard, talk to ourselves and each other like a really loving mom, they're there, everything's all right, we got this, and a really encouraging and empowering, confident Father, you can do this. It's up to you. doesn't matter if you do it wrong. The more you do it, the better you'll get at it. Because I submit, we talk to ourselves the way that our parents did. Even if we had no parents or if we had a single parent. And most folks talk to themselves with very, very negative self-talk. So to understand how we talk to ourselves so that we could have some choice about how we talk to ourselves. Why do we think what we think? Why do we believe what we believe? When it's, it has to start with each person individually when they're alone with themselves. Are you addicted to video games? Are you addicted to social media? Are you addicted to alcohol and drugs? Are you addicted to your depression? Figure yourself out. Figure yourself out and see if reading my book, listening to Richard's other guests, whatever it takes to rouse yourself up to the big questions. Who am I? Why am I here? How do I want to feel? And, what, you know, how, how do, what do I think a good life is? And how can I help? Because a split second, we want to give something, let alone a value, that's, the, that's as fast as we have it. And that comes down to that answers the last point you just made, Richard, about the esoteric new agey stuff. It's the classics. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Because we only have what we give. You know, I'm leaning forward. I'm talking with enthusiasm. I'm trying to feel this. Richard and all the anyone who's listening, you're just the lucky beneficiaries because, and, I, and that sounds selfish, and I'm very excited to be here, obviously. This might be the biggest audience I ever get, Richard. It's such an honor to be on your show. I can't even begin to, to start talking about it because I'll sound like such a, you know, a, a groveling kid, and I'm going to be 60 <laughs> years old. I'm not a kid, but I'm still excitable. Um, and, don't, uh, don't ever lose that. No, we can't lose that. I feel the same way. Every <laughs> morning you. is Christmas morning. Because you say so. We get to say that. We get to choose our thoughts and what we tell ourselves and tell each other. Right. It's, it's important, uh, that inner work you talk about, because a lot of people are running around. They want to change the world and correct other people. Uh, you know, when we have this cancel culture thing and mm. um, and, 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 you know, people wake up in the morning and they, they can't even make their own bed. And yet 
you know, they, they want to change other people. Uh, you know, we have to look in the mirror. You got to change yourself. If everybody just focused on that, I mean, I just, it sounds selfish maybe, but if you focus on yourself, that's how you change it, right? Yeah, and then you, 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 know, you squeeze an orange, you get orange juice, okay? If, if a person's miserable and complaining and unhappy, you bump into them, what's going to come out? It's a lot of complaints, and even with their friends and family. You know, so if you want to change the world, you want to you know, make it any happier, friends, you got you to gotta figure out happiness first. Just because, like I said earlier, we are with ourselves most of the time. So just and this is obviously very personal. And, you know, to be someone worth being with when you're alone, get, you know, work on that. And then, you, you know, you, you can contribute something, but just to have a little humility and know that everyone is dealing with the challenge and the confusion and the mystery of being a human being, of positioning ourselves in this universe or in the, in the family I'm in or in the job that I'm in. And if you think it's you against them, good night, nurse, and good luck. But if you think that you know, I am you and you are me and John, another John Lennon lyric just right there expressing a lot of these ideas. I'm going to call them truths, which is gutsy because that's, you know, what's, you know, what's true for me is, is true for me. I don't, you know, you can't say what's true for anybody else, but you can compare notes and see, you know, hey, most people enjoy puppies and kittens and children playing and good music and natural pastoral scenes and yeah, I can make some grand, grand sweeping claims about what's, what's true. And there's not a second we have to lose, no matter how many seconds we have left. How many seconds do we have left, Richard? We got about a minute. We have about a minute. Uh, we can get a lot with, of to jam, yeah, <laughs> information bombs and and truth and love. Um, yeah, is it? To me, I don't know. It's the word happiness. People, I'm not happy. I got to find me. I got to get happy. Maybe. It, to me, it's not about happiness. It's that's a, that's the byproduct, I guess. It's about maybe reducing suffering in the world, trying to reduce suffering, having purpose, having responsibility, uh, and then maybe at the end of that, that's maybe that that is maybe that's happiness. But I think maybe that's the, maybe that is part of the problem. We're all running around trying to be happy. It could be. Um, you know, the, the mystics and the gurus and the people who teach yoga and all everything people do to handle and manage the stress that we're all under is, uh, it's important and we're all under a tremendous amount of stress and turning off the, the news and, and just figuring out how to enjoy being you every moment of the day is not too much to aspire to. It's just cause it might be impossible. We can still aspire to it. Um, you know, not to be so, you know, generic in these platitudes, you know, shoot for the stars, you might hit the moon. Um, you know, life is worth living and enjoying. It's worth figuring out how to enjoy it. And then it's worth figuring out how to help others enjoy it, too. And, uh, you know, the truth of who and what we are is the beginning of sanity, because if we're not dealing with truth, Richard, we're insane, you know, and, and insanity is seeing something for what it's not. It's thinking something is so that's not. 
to deal with reality is to be sane. And I submit that it's a reality that love is a vibration, only energy is, is real, and one can get that from many books, mine included, that what you think and feel radiates out infinitely, literally and physically. And as sensitive, you know, vibrational beings, the more folks who love life and want to love life and want to calm down and just solve problems and get the facts, the better the, every, everybody's life will be. That's a good place to start and a good place to finish. Bruce, I enjoyed hanging out with you immensely. I hope we can do it again sometime. Me too. Thank you. Bruce de Torres, God School, 9-11, and JFK. All right, my thanks to Carlos and Ryan back next week with a brand new program. Hope to see you then. Good night. Good night.